0: Welcome to The Dog Show, a podcast for dog mums and dads who like to spoil their pups and care for their well-being. I'm your host, Will Blunt, and every week I interview global experts about dog health, nutrition, behaviour, trends, and much more. Let's sink our teeth into this week's episode. This episode of The Dog Show features Dr. John Morgan. John is a partner veterinarian at Gordon Vet Hospital, an independently owned vet practice that has been operating since 1971. After developing an interest in animals at a young age, John studied veterinary science at Sydney University before eventually finding a home at Gordon Vet Hospital, where he specialises in orthopaedic conditions and arthritis. In my second interview with John, we discuss orthopedic conditions and arthritis in dogs, including breed-specific advice, warning signs for owners, and treatment. John, welcome back to The Dog Show again. It's good to have you on. Thanks very much for
1: having me. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, so today we're going to talk about orthopedic conditions in dogs and arthritis. Uh, It's one of your specialties. You've got a lot of experience in that space. Do you just want to give me a quick
1: overview of what that is? Yeah. So I guess... It's a really big range, mm. obviously. When we talk about orthopedic conditions, we talk about, uh, I guess, a malfunction of bones mm. or joints. It's probably the, the easiest way to explain it. But that can have a, a then a, an impact on the soft tissues or the muscles and tendons and ligaments surrounding that. So it is a really, really big field and, and mm. one that I'm, I'm really only scratching the surface of. But mm. um, it's sort of where I've really found my flow as a veterinarian and something that I really enjoy
0: doing. Okay, so... Can you give me some examples of like a condition that people might be familiar with or a couple?
1: Yeah, so I guess probably one of them, well, the most common hind leg condition that we see is um, what is colloquially known as cruciate ligament disease, so equivalent to an ACL injury. And that, that basically is a problem that arises with the ligament, uh, the ACL ligament within the joint, results in instability, and then that instability causes the, what's known as arthritis or essentially inflammation of the joint.
0: Right. So there's, a, there's some sort of shock initially, like an injury, yep. which then results in arthritis. Is that always the case with arthritis? Or? Not
1: not at all, yeah. No, really good question. So it is, uh, again, not only multifactorial, but it's sort of a cause, there's a cause-and-effect relationship. Mm. So we do see that some, some dogs actually have an underlying inflammation, which can actually damage that ligament. So there often isn't a, an actual traumatic injury. In most cases, it's actually just the dog went for a walk or ran a bit too hard at the park, and then unfortunately that ligament's gone. But when we look into it, there's actually again genetics or potentially alignment issues of that joint that's that's caused the problem initially. That that's sort of not been causing necessarily symptoms, but it has been present.
0: So it sounds like you can kind of see some of that early on in dogs' life. Yeah, like you can. There's warning signs. There's warning signs yeah. for sure.
1: And I mean, uh, probably the the one that we try and catch on to earliest in terms of orthopedic conditions would be hip dysplasia. So um, hip dysplasia or hip instability, as it's commonly referred to, is actually present from birth in a lot of dogs. Um, they have joints that are extremely loose uh, and they can actually sort of pop in and out of place very easily. Uh, and that over time results in arthritis that doesn't necessarily rear its head until the dog is sort of seven or eight. But there are a lot of warning signs that from a very young age that, that we can pick up or even detect on x-rays from very, very young. Okay, so with hip dysplasia, you
0: did mention in a previous episode actually that Labradors are very exposed. Are there other breeds that are more exposed to those and maybe the cruciate ligament ones as well?
1: Yeah, so cruciate ligaments are really, it's probably more to do with, with lifestyle and, okay, and and weight essentially. So obviously um, cruciate ligament disease will occur in, in heavier dogs and there are some breeds such as in the Labrador, unfortunately, that is a bit more prone to cruciate ligament disease, but yeah, All of these, all of the dogs that we see with crucial disease come from a wide range of different breeds. As for hip dysplasia, there are some really, really standout breeds that are affected. German Shepherds, Labradors, you know, larger breeds like Newfoundlands, and they are all very susceptible to hip dysplasia. Often, again, it's very multifactorial disease, so their Mm -hmm. growth rates of their hips seem to predispose them okay and, and does that have anything to do with their size because they are bigger dogs or yeah, yeah as far as we can tell it looks like it uh it is having to do with growth rates and again that sort of genetic bottlenecking that we were talking about in mm. the previous episode that that can definitely be a, a causative factor and we do find that genetic heritability is a big feature so, okay um, there's probably been a, a couple of dogs that have this condition very early on when, when breeders started and unfortunately that's led to a, a lot of issues within a lot of dogs.
0: One condition I'm familiar with, because I've got a French Bulldog is patella alta. Is that
1: what it's called? Or uh, patella, patella luxation? Patella luxation. luxation. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So that's the Is that lux- also an orthopedic condition? Yeah. That would be considered very much an orthopedic condition. It's yeah. yeah. extremely common in French Bulldogs mm. and smaller breed dogs. And we are obviously with the training in caboodles, we're seeing a lot of patella luxation. That's why they don't cover it in insurance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yeah, the insurance companies are pretty clever about looking at those pre-existing conditions. Yeah. Uh, but yes, that, that one is a... Um, uh, so that, again, has a number of different potential causes. can be traumatic, but in most cases, it is a genetic issue. So most dogs that we see are sort of born with it in varying degrees, and then it can, again, lead to arthritis later in life. Okay.
0: So I guess it's probably hard to do like a catch-all warning signs to look out for for a dog owner, but from a from an orthopedic, like let's say the main ones, your hip dysplasias, your, your cruciate ligaments, what... Should I be looking out for as a new new dog owner?
1: Yeah. So I guess the ones that we look at, again, being in a, a young dog disease and, and what you should be looking for, starting with like the front legs is, is definitely elbow dysplasia. So, again, if you have a larger breed dog or a dog that sort of has twisted in legs, mm. uh, such as a French bulldog or some Jack Russells, any fall in lameness uh, or front leg, front leg lameness in dogs less than six months would be worried as soon as we see any sort of sign of pain or any limping after rest. That's something that you need to talk. Is about. that what you mean by lameness, like limping and yeah? Uh, so lameness, sorry, is a yeah. is a jargon term that just refers to any any evidence of pain or any dysfunction within the leg. Okay, okay. so it's, it's largely I may go back to the term lameness i much. Sorry, <laughs> that's all right. Well, now we've co- we've covered it now. Yeah, yeah. We can go back to it as yeah. much as you want. But yeah, we, we generally use lameness It's, it's just a, a basically any sign of pain or, or injury there. Okay. Mm. Okay. So yeah. So the once we. Identify pain within the elbows. We again, we might be suspicious of another condition called elbow dysplasia. Um, with the back legs, often it's as simple as a, a, an abnormal gait. So sometimes dogs with luxating patellas or, or slipping kneecaps, they'll hold the leg straight back. They'll sort of skip a step occasionally, or when they're running, they'll be very uh, suddenly lame, or very suddenly they'll hold the leg up, which is when that pops out of place. Which is something you may have known as well.
0: Yeah, actually, we when Frankie was younger, that happened. Quite regularly, well, when I say regularly, every every other walk that she her she'd like a whole leg would pop up. She'd stop walking, and you're like, "Oh my god, what's happened?" It's almost like she's been shot. Yeah. Um. But I think we discussed it at the time, and we're, there was some discussions about we may need knee surgery. We're looking into different things, but it kind of stopped happening. Yeah. And it hasn't happened for a number of years now. But I'm yeah. sure well, I'm always alert to it and waiting for it to happen again.
1: Yeah. I. Yeah. And again, a lot of these conditions. Yeah. Um, it's nice to be aware of, mm. uh, but surgery isn't always the answer. And certainly in that case, you know, we would, we would discuss it as an option for if it was popping in and out all the time. Mm. But, um, you know, we, we do, especially these days, we're very savvy about the risks and benefits associated with surgery. Mm. So we're not going to recommend surgeries that are, are not going to be uh, useful or may cause more injury than good. Well,
0: we've got another episode lined up about surgery anyway, so we can talk about that I'm from ready. that moment. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, so... Let's have a look at the common orthopedic conditions you spoke about, cruciate ligament and hip dysplasia, elbow dysplasia. Yep. What, what's the typical treatment for a dog that has that?
1: Yeah. So fortunately, we are catching up a little bit in some of the preventative steps for these procedures. Mm. So starting with hip, hip dysplasia, we do have some early surgical procedures that we can talk about later as per cruciate ligament disease early surgical intervention can be useful. In terms of more medical management, it it often does rely on potentially some injections called pentosan polysulfate, which is basically a a nutraceutical drug that helps reduce the inflammation within the joints and improve blood flow. But a lot of these dogs, unfortunately, do require anti-inflammatory drugs more long-term, which is something to reduce inflammation within those joints and to improve quality of life and reduce pain associated with arthritis. Okay.
0: So I guess the main thing is more so increasing quality of life. That's, that's the main treatment,
1: is it? That's the main one, yeah. uh, especially you know once we get past a certain age and arthritis does become more of a problem. Our, our, certainly my focus is on improving quality of life and mm-hmm. making sure that they're uh, able to do what they need to do to not only survive, but enjoy their lives as well. So should dogs like, should owners be walking dogs
0: less or giving them less activity if they do have these things? I guess cats twenty two because then they put weight on. Yeah,
1: and, yeah, yeah. So definitely, I mean, I'm more of a um, of keep them active where I can. Mm. There are certain conditions where, you know, obviously, really strenuous exercise like ball chasing mm. or um, short and fast sort of running around, so dog parks that kind of thing, they can definitely make things a lot worse. Okay, but so we'll. Obviously, that's something you probably want to talk about with your vet in certain situations. But yeah, I'm more of, you know, your long, uh, as long as you can, sort of low intensity exercise, always on leash, just to make sure that they are using their joints and that can actually help reduce inflammation in the long term. Okay. So I guess the
0: the walking is good, but the sprinting isn't so good.
1: In a lot of cases, yeah. Okay. Okay. That said, obviously, the targets of modern veterinary medicine and surgery these days is actually to get dogs back to that level of activity. So. In consult with your vet, obviously, if you've got a really active dog, sometimes surgical or medical treatment could get them back to that point. But in each case, it's a little bit different.
0: Do you notice? I mean, it's probably hard. There's probably not a lot of data on this, but say, for example, a Labrador owner that does those things prior to having the conditions, or like as in takes, takes, avoids the excessive exercise is that going to help not get the conditions
1: well yeah so again another catch 22 on that one so i do find probably your your classic presentation of the cruciate ligament disease Mm. is a um you know maybe five or six year old quite overweight labrador who hasn't unfortunately their owners haven't quite had the time to get them out and exercise enough And what happens is when you don't use those joints, a lot of the the features start to atrophy or shrink or become a lot weaker. And so these dogs will go to the beach or have a a rip-roaring weekend at the dog park. Mm. And that's when we find the ligaments potentially popping they haven't had that lead-up exercise, similar to us. Mm. They haven't had that sort of training. They haven't had that regular exercise that reduces the risk of these injuries.
0: It's like someone hasn't exercised for like 10 years. They go for a run and they pop their calf, <laughs> pop their calf Yeah,
1: <laughs> And he's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, very much the same. And yeah. you know, obviously a lot of what we do is, is transposed from, from human physiotherapy and human medicine, but that's a big one is definitely the, the under-exercise and then a, a day at the, the dog park and they've just done too much.
0: But if you, for example, if a puppy came in or a young dog came in and and you did notice some early signs of hip dysplasia or or these other conditions, would you recommend a lighter activity schedule for that dog or would
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a balance. So first and foremost is obviously always getting a diagnosis. But yeah, beyond that, we do, if we see signs of early hip dysplasia, we will talk about reducing what they're doing. And and always keeping the weight down. So um, weight is definitely one of the leading Mm. contributors to hip dysplasia. Basically, that means even if they have hip dysplasia, if you keep them lean and you keep them relatively well exercised, you can reduce the risk. But there are a lot of cases where confining them and leading to more weight loss makes things worse. So it's about finding that balance on each dog.
0: What's your process for weight management then with dogs? Like, what do you recommend?
1: Yeah, this <laughs> is a broad
0: question. It's a broad question, <laughs> it's a, it's
1: a broad question and, and in the consult room, it's very much bought with their Well, right. sorry. <laughs> I guess the, the biggest suggestion is that they're, they're, ne- they're almost always not as big as us, so mm. they don't need the meals that we're eating. I think a lot of people sort of, they see the amount of dry food that we're recommending and they think, that's something fill me. It's not going to fill mm. my dog. It's about sort of considering the size of, of the pet before you, you put the meals together and also just measuring it. You know, me in particular, you know, over the, few, the last few years, like I've had muesli and yogurt and a bit of fruit for breakfast in the morning. That generally, that pile gets bigger and bigger. <laughs> I have to stop and say, like, right, I don't need this much food anymore. I'm just going to shrink it down a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. portion control is
0: always a great way to
1: lose weight. <laughs> exactly. It works for us and it works for them. Um, yeah. And, and obviously, the big thing you're talking about here is um, is exercise for weight loss. As per a lot of human studies, and then from what I've experienced, you know, they talk about eighty percent diet and twenty percent exercise, and the, the same couldn't be truer for uh, for dogs, for sure. You know, we really want to focus on on food control or dietary management mm-hmm. over just uh, pushing up the exercise, which doesn't contribute. To- Makes a lot of sense. I
0: mean. I'm sure everyone's had that experience where they're just smacking themselves with exercise and not seeing great results, right? Exactly,
1: because they're eating pans yeah. every third night. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and you think that that's an excuse to eat well, but you know you find that it'll yeah. catch up eventually. Yeah, you got to balance it out. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So, I as well, like you mentioned, the size of the dogs. I mean. It's common, I guess, if you ever feed your dog off your plate, which you probably don't recommend anyway, but <laughs> I mean, like you might think, oh, that's like, you know, something like that. It's not too big. I'll just give it to the dog. Yeah. That's, you know,
1: proportionally is massive. Yeah. We've got our, you know, our test patient Frankie here, and um, one small piece of cheese is, is almost the equivalent of sort of a hamburger. Mm. So um, interesting.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, we we give her a pill every night with a little bit of cheese because that's the way she likes having it. Please. Yeah,
1: and that and that often <laughs> that's often you know a bit of a, a lead in for it. So we, we think that those little bits of food aren't going to add much, mm. but again, we've got to put it in perspective. So mm. when we start adding in those those table treats, I often do actually recommend reducing what they get in terms of their um, their actual diet. So taking out their diet to add to their discretionary foods.
0: Yeah, so actually a trend I've seen a lot that's happening over in the states, and I guess it's starting to come into here is kind of that home delivery food or home cooked meals for dogs. Is that something you're seeing as well? Yeah,
1: yeah. The, the raw diets are definitely becoming uh, quite a, a lot more popular over the sort of the commercial dry biscuits. And, and I think that there there is definitely a place for them mm-hmm. um, and I can a- appreciate why people do like them. I guess it's always about, you know, talking to you vet about the risk of parasites in, um, in raw foods and certainly making sure that they are, they're not just home home done mm. raw foods. Um, there are a lot of micronutrients that are in pet foods that, that we may be neglecting. Mm. While they their um, dietary requirements are close to ours, they're not exactly the same.
0: Yeah, so that's the raw diet, I guess. And uh, yeah, I can imagine it's it's challenging to look after all that food. I mean you've probably got to freeze it or something,
1: do you? It kind of You do, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean that's we've sort of looked at, at selling the same product, but mm. yeah, we've obviously got to look at a, a freezer or you know, a fridge to to have that on on
0: offer. Because there's also the kind of fresh cooked meals as well. Yeah. Which aren't raw so much, but they're they're meant to be, you know, high nutrients and human-grade.
1: Human-grade, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess, again, it's the... um Feeding and as humans is definitely traditionally, I guess, dogs would eat table scraps and, mm. and there wasn't a commercial product available. But again, we're a little more savvy about uh, nutritional deficiencies that may be coming from that. So okay. I think, again, always talk to an expert in the area. So yeah. your, your local vet will have some have some tips or just, again, use it as a part of the diet. So I'm not averse to using you know, part dry food and then part of the, the home-cooked um, meal might be an option as well. Okay. So I guess if I was to summarise our chat on
0: orthopedic conditions, even though we got a bit sidetracked then, <laughs> um, weight management activity and just having regular checkups with your vet, especially at a young age, to just make sure you're on that right path to yeah. kind of look after it and, and see any early warning signs. Yeah, 100%
1: the early warning signs yeah. is what we look at. Um, but yeah, all, all of those things and obviously looking into their um, pain management to make sure they're comfortable. Cool. Great. Thanks, John. Thanks, thanks. for coming on today. No, as well. Thanks for having me.